This is Software Engineering Radio, the podcast for professional developers on the web at se-radio.net. SE Radio brings you relevant and detailed discussions and interviews on software engineering topics every two weeks. Thanks to our audience and the partners listed on our website for supporting the podcast. Hello listeners, Markus here. I wanted to uh, ask you a favor. We are looking for somebody who helps us get rid of the spam on the website. You might have noticed that the comments on the SE Radio website are full of spam. Some of it, you know, a bunch of strange Chinese letters that you can't even read. Others seem rather sensible where the comment kind of takes into account, although it's spam, it still takes into account somehow some of the keywords of the episode, but then there is still a spam link. So we're looking for somebody who helps us get rid of this stuff. Uh, let's call this person the despamifier. This is your chance to contribute to SU Radio. Your job would be to basically subscribe to the uh, comments feed and take a look at the comments. And if they are crap, go to the website, log in and delete it. And you would obviously do us and especially the community a great favor. So if you're interested in helping us in this respect, send an email to team at se-radio.net. We'd obviously greatly appreciate your help. Okay, that's all I wanted to say. Let's uh, go on to the content of this episode. Welcome to a new episode on Software Engineering Radio. Our topic today is the difference between software engineering and computer science. On the microphone is Michael, and my guest today is Chuck Connell. Um, at SE Radio, we uh, noticed an article at the Dr. Dobbs Journal uh, on this topic. So we contacted uh, Chuck and asked him whether he would volunteer for an interview on the same topic. Um, Chuck, welcome on the show. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, would you like to briefly introduce yourself? As Michael said, my name is Chuck Connell. I uh, work in the Boston uh, area. Um, and I have been working in uh, computer science and software development for about 25 years. As a As a combination, I have kind of a foot in the practical applied world. I am a software developer. I'm a software consultant. I've worked in a number of technologies over the years, um, as well as I've been involved in the academic world of computer science. I have a graduate degree in computer science from Boston University uh, and have continued to take courses uh, over the years beyond that degree. So I've I've always had an interest in the kind of the theoretical academic world, as well as applied applied programming topics. In your article, you state uh, something along the lines that software engineering doesn't really fit into computer science because it, it's inherently different. It, it's too soft. It's too unpredictable. It has no sound theory uh, around it. How would you summarize your, your statement in that uh, paper? Um, yes, I think what you said is accurate. Let me give a little background on that. Um, there is some attempt uh, by some uh, researchers in software engineering to make software development, software engineering more, more rigorous and provable and provably correct 
than it is now. I mean, as everybody knows now, software development projects, sometimes they go right, sometimes they go wrong. Sometimes they finish on time, sometimes they, they take five times longer than, than we thought they would. Um, and so obviously, it would, be, it would be a great thing if software development were, were more rigorous, more well-defined, if we developed code in a more provably correct way, uh, you know, that would obviously be, be good for everybody. So there are some researchers in the field who are trying to make software more math, software development, more mathematical, more rigorous. And, and that's, so that's sort of the, the background of my article. And in my article, I argue that while some aspects of computer science certainly are useful to software engineers and that a good software engineer should know some of that background, that in the end, software development is never going to be rigorously, pro- rigorously provable. And the reason is that, that people are involved in software development are, and are a crucial part of the software development process. So it, it will never be rigorous and mathematical like some other areas of computer science are. No, I could challenge, so why did you even expect to be provable, to be predictable as the other dis- disciplines within computer science they might be? Well, the answer to that is that there are some efforts, not certainly not by everyone, but by some people within the software engineering field to do just that, to define rigorous methods of software development that that do make it provably correct and uh, formal uh, formal development methods is one way there's a link in my article on dr. Dobbs journal to some good information from uh, the US government agency NASA uh, I believe it's at Langley Air Force Base and there's a link in there to some of these formal methods uh, another buzzword people might have heard about is clean room engineering so there there are efforts to make the whole software development process correct and provably correct uh, so my article is is, is responding in, in a sense to that to that effort so do you believe in clean room development and those formal methods i remember uh, for example the specification language set uh, from my studies I believe in them in a sense. I, I believe that any software development method, clean room, formal, agile, extreme, you know, whatever you want, that they are all useful in the right context, applied to the right projects. Um, but I do not believe in, I mean, to answer your question, Joy, I do not believe in formal development methods or clean room in the sense that they can ever give us what they promise, which is provably correct software. I don't believe in them in that sense. At least not at, at a reasonable scale. I would expect that it works for some tiny examples but not really for any realistic application as we know it from our desktop PCs, right? Absolutely, I agree, sure. You can, you know, we can define an example uh, of some 
small program we want and express it in some rigorous semantic language and develop a provably correct piece of software for it. Sure, it, it'll work on some example, but but I claim it it will never scale to to real examples. Was there any uh, trigger, any event uh, that uh, led you to writing this article? Or was it just, well, I, I had planned it for years and now I just do it? Um, I guess there were two triggers. Um, the first is kind of for years, it, as I said, I've kind of had a foot in both worlds of practical software development as well as uh, academic computer science and it, it always it always was frustrating to me and I and it's frustrating to many many people that when you work on a on a real software project it never goes as nicely as as formal computer science for instance I'm thinking of say of analysis of algorithms for instance or uh, cryptographic analysis you know those are areas where you get provably correct results and um, or some areas of compiler theory for instance and you know it's always frustrating for everybody developing real-world practical software that it never goes that well um, and bugs come up and it takes longer and so there's you know I and many other people have frustration that uh, Practical development doesn't go as well as theory sometimes. And then and I, then I guess the other uh, kind of short-term trigger is I was having a conversation. I uh, cite him in the paper with a uh, one of my professors, uh, Steve Stephen Homer, who is a theorist, who, who is a, a formal computer science theorist. And we were talking about the difference between uh, practical software development and regular computer science theory. And uh, that kind of triggered that kind of triggered the article that I wrote. How would you separate actually the two topics from each other? I would, well, thinking about it, I see them intermingled in in many aspects. Can you draw a clear line between both topics? Yes, I I think I can. And there's actually a diagram in uh, my article that makes this point. I brief note: we include that in the show notes. Sure. Um, I, th I believe that the difference between practical software development and formal computer science, um, and, and that really includes all the areas of formal computer science, is the fact that software engineering and software development involve people in their process. And what we study in school as traditional computer science does not crucially involve people. Uh, and I'm, I'm looking at the diagram from the article, which I understand is in the show notes. Um, so, for instance, um, areas of computer science such as queuing theory, algorithms, machine learning, complexity, network analysis, those topics do not involve a person crucially in the subject matter. I mean, you can, people study those subjects but they are true or correct or not correct uh, regardless of, of a person being in the middle. Whereas at the top of the diagram there, subjects such as usability, uh, requirements engineering, scalability, estimation, uh, design patterns, those topics crucially involve people. Uh, you know, people are, you cannot study those topics 
without studying the people that are involved in the software process. So I feel that, in my opinion, that's that's the bright line between what's traditionally considered software engineering and what's traditionally considered computer science. Could you maybe go one level deeper? Sure, I have some, I have some examples. Let's make it concrete with two examples. Um, the first is the problem of estimating in software development. Every software, every real software project, you know, other than some small piece of homework we're doing in a class, every real piece of software development, we want to estimate how long it's going to take because if the answer is that it's going to take a week, it's going to take, say, one person a week, we'll say, sure, let's go ahead and do it. If the answer is that it's going to take 20 people five years, we might say, no, that's not worth it. So estimation is crucial in every real-world software project. I mean, we need to know how long software is going to take um, to decide if it's worth it or not. And estimation, by its very nature, means how long are people, this team of people, going to spend doing this project? And I claim, and I, I think it's self-evident, that... There's no rigorous mathematical method or recipe that we are ever going to have that's going to produce accurate estimates for how long some team of people is going to take to do some piece of software. I mean, even imagine that you have a crack team that has turned out many good software projects before, let's say a team of 10 people, but partway through the project, five of them get sick or lose interest in software development, well, your estimate is out the window. And you know, no formal system can capture that. Um, now, I should add with an estimation there, there are some fairly well-developed estimating techniques um, such as Kokomo, uh, and I think I have a link in the article about that, um, that try to apply some... Uh, formulas and mathematical heuristics to estimation. But if you look close, and, and some of they have these very complex, daunting formulas that look very scientific. But if you look closely at that work, it's really still a guesstimate. I mean, those, the, those formulas that are involved there are based on previous projects uh, by similar teams and can easily go wrong. And the formulas even involve all sorts of scaling factors that are extremely subjective. So these seemingly rigorous estimating methods are not, if you look at it closely, are not as rigorous as they appear. So I think estimation is an area where there will, I claim there will never be a rigorous, provable, exact method for doing it. Um, the other example um, is what is often called uh, modifiability or maintainability or extensibility. I'll, I'll kind of lump those all together, those properties of software. We want software to be modifiable um, because we think of a new feature or we change an existing feature. We want it to be maintainable because there's going to be bugs to fix. And, and extensible, we want to you know, add some new feature or scale it in some way. So this is surely a property that we want out of out of any real software that we care about um, but 
the question of how maintainable, modifiable a piece of software is crucially involves the people who are working on it because if you have a bug to fix, what do you do? Well, you sit down and you look at the software and, and you try to understand what's going on there and, and understand what's causing the bug. Or, even, or if you know what's causing the bug, you try to understand where the fix needs to be applied. Well, that's a human process. Um, and I can't imagine any formal system that's going to tell us how to construct software so it looks more clear to the people who have to maintain it. It's, it's just crucially kind of bound up with the way people think. So to me, that's another example of where, uh, you know, formal systems will never uh, give us everything we want in software development. Another example you mention in your article is CMMI, the capability maturity model uh, of the Software Engineering Institute. Well, at least what what I know about it, you get a number out of it. So how can you come up with a number from something that is not really touchable, graspable? Uh, how do they do that? And what what is their trick to come up with a number? Yeah, the CMMI, uh, I actually, um, I'm actually a believer in that. And let me take that from the other side. Um, CMMI, Uh, which is capability maturity model, um, and there's various flavors of that, comes out of the Software Engineering Institute at Carnegie Mellon University in Pittsburgh. And CMMI actually is not a rigorous method, although it's very long and very heavy when you get the printed version and can be difficult to read, and, and some teams of software developers love it and some hate it. But its goal is not to be a rigorous method. Its goal is really to be a set of best practices that have uh, turned out to work well for other teams of software developers. So I actually uh, believe that they're on the right track. They're, they're not trying to be provably correct. The, the thing is, the text is not filled with mathematical formulas. Um, Again, it is very long. It is very difficult to read in places. But their goal is a template of development methods that have been found to be good, really best practices, at a number of previous sites. And, and they're always tweaking it. You know, they, I mean, they have the right spirit that, you know, they never thought it was correct 20 years ago or 10 years ago. They're, they're always tweaking it and always learning. So... You know, I, th I think they have the right spirit, although it's it's gotten kind of big and, and onerous. You mentioned now several times the, the word best practices. Uh, for example, in the context of patterns and software design, uh, you mentioned it for CMMI. So it seems like best practices is, is the middle ground, uh, as good as it can get uh, with software engineering to uh, make it somehow structured. Yes, I think that's right. I, I think that, I mean, I think, you know, middle ground is the right word. Um, you know, we don't want to say, we don't want to say there's nothing we can ever learn about software development and every project is something new from scratch and we have no idea how to do software development. Well, you know, we clearly don't want to say that. And that's clearly not true. On the other hand, 
I maintain in this article that we can never make software provably correct. But the middle ground is just what you said. Um, patterns of software development that have been found to work well on past projects. And patterns also, when you read that literature, patterns work well for certain kinds of programs. And patterns always say where they are applicable, where they make sense, or they should say that. And so patterns are kind of best practice. And, and patterns can apply at kind of at the code design level or higher up at the architecture level. And the idea is the same. It's, it's, it's best practices, things that have been learned on previous projects. CMMI is that as well. Um, agile uh, techniques, uh, extreme programming, those are, again, best practices that have worked well in the past that have a good chance of working well on your new project, uh, especially if you understand where, what kinds of projects they should be applied to. Um, so I think, I mean, I think that's the right way to look at software engineering to, instead of trying to develop techniques that are provably correct, which I maintain will never work, we can learn, we can develop wisdom and best practices over time. So is that something like a conclusion or what, what do we learn now after we observe this difference between, um, Uh, computer science and software engineering, this difference in, in matter, in behavior, in structuredness, in predictability? Yes, I think, I mean, I think the difference is, you know, let's take a topic like, you know, cryptography or, say, register allocation in, in compiler theory. You can get correct results in those areas and for, for those questions, or at least for some of those questions. Um, in software engineering, I think correct results are you know, nearly impossible in every situation uh, unless you define the problem very, very narrowly. But what we can get is best practices, body of knowledge uh, built up over time, uh, you know, experience that that works well uh, going forward. Can we get better at that? Should we get better with that? Do you know, or do you see any holes where we don't make the best out of what we have today with software engineering? What would be your recommendation? Well, as a good question. I guess there's kind of two parts there. Can we get better? Absolutely. I mean, look at other areas of engineering, such as bridges, you know, bridges over, over rivers. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, rockets, space rockets. Those areas of engineering, they get better all the time. You know, occasionally there are failures. You, you, you still see bridges that collapse. But people have gotten better at that, you know, every year, more or less, as, as time has gone on. Um, you know, and the same thing with rocket technology. And I certainly expect software to continue to do that. I think the whole area of patterns is a fairly recent area in software engineering, and, and a lot of good has come out of that. So I think that, you know, I think we certainly can get better. Um, any holes? That's, that's a good question. Um, I have to think on that a bit. You know, are there areas where there are still holes in our knowledge 
I don't know. Good, good question. I don't have an immediate answer on that one. You mentioned that software engineering is, or software development is an engineering discipline. Now, if you would have to decide between the, the terms science, art, or uh, craftsmanship for the act of software development, what would you relate it more to? Craftsmanship. You know, I, can, I imagine, for instance, a, a skilled uh, woodworker, a cabinet maker, you know, someone who is a good woodworker certainly knows the technical details. They understand the materials involved, the wood, the tools, the way the tools and the wood and the glue and the materials interact. They understand structural engineering of, of putting together something with wood. Those things are absolutely required of a, of a good uh, craftsman. But craftsmanship also involves more than that. It's experience built up over time. It's a sense of uh, the artistic, a sense of design that, uh, you know, only people can understand. So uh, I, I like the term, I like the term craftsmanship for, for good software development. Yes, I, I totally agree. So I, I like to challenge you on that. And so that is a, a typical question Uh, you would ask at a, at a beer in the evening with some friends together with some uh, geek friends and you could get lively discussions on it. But as you said, it, I believe it's, it's the experience uh, for one uh, which really helps in developing good software, reliable software. And the other part uh, that I uh, think is, is important, there's also some, some beauty and simplicity in it as with uh, craftsmanship. I mean, you can solve uh, and create any kind of uh, thing, but it also matters how you do it, how this piece of wood afterwards looks, whether it looks like a, a chair or something that you hardly can identify as a chair, but you might be you might potentially be able to sit on it. Right. That's right. And in fact, this uh, sort of touches on uh, something we, we talked about in our email be, uh, before this uh, interview, which is education. You know, in the ideal world, how should software engineers be trained? You know, what should it look like to go to school to study software engineering, software development. And I think, that in my opinion, software engineering development is more, should be more than a subset of computer science. I mean, a good software developer absolutely needs to know some computer science. They need to know analysis of algorithms. They need to know complexity. They need to know programming language theory. Uh, absolutely, there are areas of formal computer science that a good software engineer should know. But that's not the whole story. And software engineers also need to know uh, management techniques, how to work in teams, uh, a little bit of psychology, user psychology as well as team psychology. So in my ideal world, software engineering would be, would be taught... Se not completely separately from computer science, but, but recognizing that it has a different focus. 
making it a first-class citizen at university, right. actually, and, and right. not somewhere hidden in any CS department. Yeah, that's right. I, uh, that's right. I agree with that. I mean, I I remember saying me that in in one of the earlier episodes, but I really believe good software developers. Um, don't just come easily out of uh, computer science uh, studies, but there there needs to be more on it. Uh, either uh, have a really strong education on software engineering, gotten that uh, during your studies at university, or really do do a lots of practical work, uh, practical work, to to learn on it and and to get experience and knowledge on it. Right and. That's right. And I think both are needed. I mean, imagine, I could imagine somebody, for instance, who is very, very good at uh, formal, say, complexity theory, you know, analyzing the complexity of some algorithms uh, or, you know, looking at the mathematics of what's computable and what's not computable. I can imagine somebody who's very good at that but is not a very good software engineer because they're not good at communicating with users to understand what they want or not good at working in teams. And I mean, we need people, you know, we need people of all types. And um, on the other hand, a software engineer does need to know some of, some of the rigorous theory as well. So, uh, you know, there's, there's an overlap, but, but they're different skill sets. Now, we talked a lot about education at university. How about really the application of uh, software engineering in industry, in, in daily life, for building uh, real-world uh, products? Do we need to change something after uh, this knowledge, after this observation? You're thinking of how sort of ongoing education for people who have been working in the field ongoing education or do we treat software development right in industry today in general i mean looking back at your experiences from from ibm or other big large companies i think that i think part of the answer is that if software development were taught as as we're both suggesting more as a first class citizen more as its own discipline i think that would help i mean what happens now is that Many people doing real-world software development have a computer science background, a computer science degree from somewhere. And, and again, that's valuable and that helps to some extent. But I would like to see software engineering curriculums um, include more than just that. And, you know, and I think that would, help, that would help going forward. And, I mean, one view, one view of computer science that I... I partly believe is that computer science, core computer science, really is a branch of mathematics. Now, I mean, I didn't make that up. I'm, I, you know, I'm quoting something I've heard there, and and I think there's some truth to that. And, um, you know, and that's interesting and that's valuable for people who want to study that. And and I've studied those subjects and I've enjoyed them. But you know, we should recognize that. You know, doing real-world software development is more than just a branch of mathematics. So, do you have any other related discussions or recommendations on on literature and ideas uh, around that topic? Uh, you sent me in advance a set of links, we, which we all will include in in the in the show notes. But any recommendations on interesting topics from you? 
let me just mention those links briefly and what people can find there. So the the article I wrote that that prompted this podcast is there. Um, and Grady Booch, uh, there's a very interesting site there. What what he is has done is collected interesting software architectures. And I think this is the kind of thing that, that people use as an input to design patterns. But his goal there is to kind of build up a shared knowledge of the way people have approached difficult, interesting software projects. Um, Steve McConnell, who uh, wrote uh, Rapid Development, um, as well as After the Gold Rush, and several others, he's a very well-known author in software engineering. Uh, his blog is listed there, and, and there's a lot of good stuff in there. Um, also, the uh, page from NASA about formal software methods is there, and that's interesting to look through. And I think you've also posted... Um, my website called beautifulsoftware.com, where I've collected uh, my essays uh, on this topic and others about software development. What kind of essays? Now you make me curious. Well, um, I've been writing for a number of years about software engineering, so there's this article as well. Uh, there's another piece that I uh, just finished and will come out in Dr. Dobbs this month about refactoring. Uh, we haven't talked about it. Uh, yet in this in this broadcast, but the whole refactoring movement, and I kind of summarize what that is, and and talk about some some background theory for refactoring is there. Um, so this month is September. Yes. In case we uh, publish this episode later. Fine. In yes. The, my understanding is that that piece will appear during September on Doctor Dobbs. September two thousand and nine. September two thousand nine. Correct. Um, and <clears throat> I. Uh, wrote a number of, of pieces about the process of open source development, uh, which is also listed there, um, and had a an online debate with Eric Raymond, who's who's well known in that field, um, about the process of of open source development, and that that material is on that website as well. Okay, lots of interesting uh, links and things to to look at. Um, any final comment from your side? I think that just about covers it. Uh, I'm always interested in hearing from uh, readers or listeners, um, you know, with their comments or uh, links. I've, you know, over the years I've been writing, I've uh, often improved an article or tweaked an article based on some feedback I got from somebody. So, uh, you know, I, uh, welcome people to uh, give me feedback there's my contact information is is on that site beautifulsoftware.com and also please use the comment feature at our se radio absolutely.net comment infrastructure okay all right thanks chuck for this interview thank you michael bye 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 thanks for listening to software engineering radio Software Engineering Radio is an educational program brought to you by Hillside Europe. If you want more information about the podcast and all the other episodes, visit our website at se-radio.net. If you want to support us, you can donate to the SE Radio team via the website, or you can advertise for SE Radio, for example, by clicking on the Dig Reddit Delicious links and the slash dot button. To contact the team, please send email to team at se-radio.net, or if it is specific to an episode, please use the comments facility on the website so other people can react to your comments. 
this episode of SE Radio, as well as all other episodes, are licensed under the Creative Commons 2.5 license. Please see the website for details. Thanks to Charlie Crow and the Podsife Music Network for the music used in this show. The song is called Vegas Hard Rock Shuffle.